My name is Allison Treadaway. I've been in leadership here with the Nest for the last nine years. Um, became a member at Watermark back in 2003, so kind of in the beginning stages. And, and it is an honor and privilege to be here today um, to teach you God's Word. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, my family, let me introduce my family real quick, so I'll be addressing them a little bit. So these are my people. Um, that is Mountain Man Marshall, my husband. He has a beard. And he only has had a beard for a year and a half of us knowing each other for 16 years. And he grew it during that, like, man November month where you do that. Anybody? Right? You grow, I don't know, I'm not a man. You grow beard, like, November, December. He did it, and it filled in, and he kept it through, like, February, March. And then he shaved it off before it became, like, uh, summertime because we have a pool. We're outside. He didn't want a tan line, so he shaved it off before that. He shaved it off, and we were all like, put it back on. Who are you? Like, it, it was, like, six months, and I've known him for 16 years? I can't do math. Anyways, yeah, 16 years. And it was like so strange. Anyway, so that's my husband. Um, that spot we are standing is at Texas A&M where we met. Thank you. And um, in the student rec center, and that is the spot he asked me for my number. So, uh, thank you. I was hoping for that reaction. Uh, this past, or last weekend, actually, we had a long weekend. Um, kids were out of school. And so, on our way back from visiting family, we took, spent a day in College Station, just kind of walked around and showed them some things we were really hoping they'd get excited about. Um, and they did. We were pleasantly surprised that our kids were just excited for us to tell stories and walk around and show them things that weren't that exciting. And so, to us, it was like reliving all these memories. Um, we've been married for 12 years. We met in college, did not date in college, dated after college, um, and married, and uh, we got married in 2005. So we've been married for 12 years. We now have three kids. Uh, Parker is nine and a half, my oldest. My middle, Callie, she has a hat. They all have hats because we aggied out that day. Minus my husband, he forgot his shirt. Was not a great helper that day, I guess. Um, anyways, Callie, seven and a half, and then my youngest, our youngest, is turning five next month which means he starts kindergarten next year. So I'm in this really bittersweet season right now where I'm about to open the next chapter of my life, and, and it's, it's bizarro, um, but that's where we are. And so um, those are my people. And um, my husband and I had, a, a, by God's grace and provision, a really good dating relationship and turned into marriage. And, um, but about two, two and a half years ago, so around the 10-year mark, um, we just hit a really low point in our marriage. Um, I didn't expect myself to cry, but here it comes. That's what happens. Um, anyways, it was not any major thing. It was just a variety of hard circumstances that happened to us that we put ourselves in. It was just a variety of things happening, perfect storm of circumstances. And, um, and in that time, it was just, we didn't argue well. Conflict was not resolved quickly. Um, we liked each other. Um, we loved each other, but we, we kind of lost friendship. Life was very business-oriented. Um, you know, it was just that. And so about two and a half years, that happened. And, and by God's grace and his provision through his word, through his people, our community group, um, through his spirit, like he has brought us just to a much sweeter, like, that was kind of the valleys that we have experienced thus far in marriage. That was a valley in our marriage. And we are just brought to a much better place. And so today's message is really the result of what the Lord laid on my heart and taught me um, through that time. And I hope to share with you today and that it would inspire you as we tend to our marriages when our kids are young. And so with that, I would like to pray and we'll get started. Um, Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for this opportunity, and I thank you for a church that allows us 
the room and the facilities and the folks watching our kids that aren't just keeping them safe, but discipling them. I thank you for the, the hundred volunteers, um, literally 89 of them, I believe, um, that it took to make this happen today. I thank you for them. And Lord, I pray now that we can all just take a deep breath and that we can be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained by your word and your truth. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, um, oh Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. I get teary, y'all. Okay, um, so what kind of gardener are you? I'd like to hear some hands, um, or see here, huh? see some hands. Um, are you a gardener? Like anybody in the room, like have like, the, I don't know, Carolyn, what you do. What do I'm looking at you, Carolyn Duncan. What, what, you know, you have a garden. Clearly, I'm not a gardener. You have, like, produce that you're growing, you know, farmer's market style. Anyone? Hands. Anyone, like, into it? Are you like your vegetables in the backyard growing? Marissa, you're out there. Your husband does it. Um, anybody? Anyone else like to just tend to their flower beds? I mean, anybody? Come on. Be proud. Get them up. Okay. Yeah, this is funny. Um, yeah, there, no. Okay, clearly I'm not, um, it's because I don't even know what the word, who has chickens? Anybody have chickens in this group? Come on. No? Chickens? Who are you pointing to? Do I see a hand? Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. That's hilarious. Okay, so you're either a gardener and you're into it, right, or you're not. That's kind of how that works. I'm not. Like, I, my, I come from a heritage, y'all. My grandparents, I, they had a working farm and ranch, okay? So that's where I would spend my holidays and weekends were with my grandparents on their working farm and ranch. So, I mean, milking cows, all the whole bit, right? Slaughtering them. El Toro was the bull's name. We slaughtered him for the meat for the year. Like, that's what that was about. Anyways, my parents, my sister and her husband, my brother and his wife, totally caught the bug. They have these Garden of Eden backyards. Um, they have, two of them have pools, so you walk in their backyard, and it's like an oasis, and the landscaping is just deep breath, and wow, this is beautiful. My brother, they moved out to Florida a couple years ago. They had got, they used to live on like a quarter acre. They now live with like 10 feet of backyard, or not, it's more than that, but not a lot. And, um, and he has turned it into just a farmer's market. Like, he has so many things back there. The hurricane did hit them. They went through the eye, and so we were talking, and I'm like, hey, it's important to him. How's the garden? And, um, and he's like, oh, it's just totally destroyed. I'm gonna have to start over, and and he goes, but my trees did good. I'm like, yeah, which ones, which ones again? And, and he's like, you know, my mango tree, my avocado tree, my papaya tree, my citrus tree, my list nine trees in his like 20 foot by 10 foot backyard that were fine. And I'm just like, the apple fell far from the tree on that one. Like, I just don't get it. Anyways, and so about three years ago, or about six years ago, we bought a 1970s house and and the, the landscaping was probably from the 1970s still. And so in the backyard, we spend most of our time because we have a pool. And the, everything was dying. And so we're like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We have parents. They have taught us. We've seen it. And so we researched and we looked into what to plant and what to do when you're ripping out and putting new in and did all this stuff, all this legwork. We paid someone to rip out. Then we had to dig out like so many inches of soil and add new soil because it was old. And we, we tilled that and we added some other stuff that they told us to do and planted. And, and it was beautiful. We went from these like box hedges that were mostly dying and geometric shapes, you know, you trim them, mostly dead to just, it was pretty. And we spent a lot of time out there. It was the summer. And because I'm out there three to four times a day with my kids swimming, um, you know, I'd take 
pin to it and I'd piddle with it and trim it back and pull the little weeds that were sprouting up and, and I'd get to it. And then, um, you know, school starts and life happens and we're not swimming anymore or as often. And, and so I'm not out there daily. I, I'm out there every couple of weeks or whatever. And even just recently, we went out to swim the one last time before the, the cold front we had last week came through. We swam and I'm like, Wah! I go out there and things are just overgrown. They're over each other. Weeds are everywhere. I didn't know weeds could grow. You know, it's just bad. And I think that's what happens in our marriages. I think we just get distracted. We want the Garden of Eden, right? But we get distracted. Things get in the way. And we don't give it the time and the attention that we need. And the weeds grow. And that's where my husband and I were. We just looked up and it was like, how did we get here with all these weeds? And so today, my hope is that you, I can give you, the Lord will provide you through me, 10 ways that you can tend to your garden, simple things that you can do to help pluck the weeds, plant the seeds, water the garden that is your marriage, so that... Um, so that the big weeds don't, the little weeds don't become big weeds, right? That's our hope today. And so with that, we have 10 points. Um, I want you ladies, 10 points is a lot. And so, um, especially when you're sleep deprived and worn out and you're like, you're sitting for the first time and most of you don't have someone hanging on you and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Um, so use your active listening skills today. And so the 10 points, they're already on your handout. They are in front of your face. So it is not going to be a surprise to you what's coming. Um, but they're there in case you do have to step out or you need to leave early, et cetera. They're there. I want you to actively listen with me. I want you, as I go through the points, star the ones that, hey, man, I think we're doing pretty good here. You know, maybe not a 10 out of a 10, but pretty good. And the ones that, mm, no, that was good. I need that. Circle. And that's what you're going to discuss when you have table time today, okay? So let's do that. So number one, um, the first way that we can tend to our marriage is to embrace your role in marriage. To embrace it, you got to know what it is. And so we're going to go back to the beginning, the beginning of Genesis. And in Genesis 2, um, God has been in the business of creating something out of nothing, right? And in Genesis 2, he creates man. Adam, and then he establishes the Garden of Eden, and then he puts Adam in charge of the Garden of Eden, and he puts him there. And then we get to our verse 18. Um, verse 18 comes out, and the Lord God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so then he goes around and he forms all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and he brings them to man, to Adam, and says, hey, name him. He names him. And the Lord, we skip down to the red there, and he says, huh, now, it wasn't surprising. He didn't say, huh, but it wasn't surprising to him. He goes, but Adam for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. And so the Lord caused him to fall asleep and he opens up his side and out of his rib, he takes it out, closes it back up, and then he creates woman. And then he brings woman to Adam. Eve, he creates, brings to Adam. And he says, this is now bone of my bone. Um, he brought, the Lord brought him, God brought her to him and then says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman, you were taken out of me. That is why a man leaves his father and a mother and is united to his wife. Guys, there's so much in this passage. We literally could camp out here this whole time, but we're not because we have 10 things to cover. And so um, out of here, the three things I want us to take away right now is one, we, um, we women, we as women, we were created to provide companionship. Okay? We were created to provide companionship. It is not good for man to be alone. He created us for companionship. Second, we were created to be a suitable helper. 
God saw that it was not good for man to be alone and he created a helper for him. I want you to notice that this is before the fall. This is before the fall, meaning sin entered the world. It was perfect. He saw Adam needed a partner and he created one for him to help him tend to his responsibilities. And then third, I really want you to see that we were created as equally valuable. Notice he opened up the side and took out his rib, right? He created us. He did not create us from his foot. He did not create us from his head or his, his hiney or his elbow, right? He created us from his side. And that, that I think is symbolic of just the fact that we were equally created in his image. God created man in his likeness. Man as in neutral, as in human. And so man and woman together are both equally made in his likeness. And so I want you to remember that today. Um, and, and real quick before we move on, what does it mean to be a helper? That word has a lot of um, perhaps negative connotation. It's confusing in the world today. Um, but I want you to know that the word Hebrew, the, the helper, the word helper in the Old Testament is the word azer. I think I'm saying that right, azar. Um, it's a Hebrew word. It's used 21 times. Did you know that 16 of the times in the Old Testament when the word helper, the same word it used to say he created women as a helper suitable, the same helper is used 16 times to describe God. God is our helper. Like, like that's meaningful. Helper is not a a little role. Helper is not a belittled role. Helper, God is defined as our helper. And so I really want you to hear that. Um, God saw that Adam needed a partner that, um, to help manage all that he was in charge of. And so he said, hey, I need someone to come alongside Adam to help him do his job, his responsibilities. And so he created us. That's what we are to our husbands. And so number one was um, embrace your role in marriage. Number two, stay connected to the Lord. In John 15, four, it says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit out of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. In order to be who God wants you to be in your marriage, you have to stay connected to the vine. Um, there is this awesome story that um, some friends shared with us just a few weeks ago, and I want to share it with you today. It's, there's a story about an old Cherokee that's teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight. It is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other wolf is good. He is love, peace, joy, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. That same fight is going on inside you, grandson, and inside every other person too. And the grandson thought for a minute and he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the Cherokee replied, the one that you feed. And so, right, it gets to the quick. And that's ladies, um, it's so important to prioritize our time with the Lord um, because there's a fight going on inside of you. 
Um, when you have trusted in Christ and for the provision of your sins, the spirit lives within you. And now you have the spirit helping you to choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, helping you to clothe yourself in humility. You have that ability now in you, but you have to feed that. And so my question to you is, are you feeding yourself the right things? Which wolf is gonna win with inside you? So number two was prioritize your time with the Lord. Um, And a side note on this, when my kids were little, time with the Lord was to get me through the day. Like I clung to it for strength to parent with grace and patience and kindness and tenderness. And a lot of times, I mean, so my sinful flesh came out, but that's why I went to the Lord regularly. My motivation now is my kids have gotten older and my husband has acquired more responsibilities in his world at work. Uh, My motivation now is like, I crave it because I don't know half the time how to respond to the questions my kids come home with or the conversations they're having or the, the thing that the friend said at school today. And it's not all bad things. Don't think it's all bad things, but it's like, I have a dozen examples that just came to head, but I can't share them right now because of time. Anywho, but it's just, it's just being in the word um, allow, I crave it now because Lord, I don't know what's going to come today. And I want to be who you want me to be. I'm going to sharpen my family, encourage my spouse with wise words that are grounded in your truth. And so prioritize your time with the Lord. Number three, be your husband's champion. Um, What is a champion? A champion is a person who fights for a cause, sometimes on behalf of someone else. And so what do I mean when I say be your husband's champion? I mean fight for, support him, fight for and support the things that are there to help him. Um, We need to fight and support our husbands in their spiritual, emotional, and vocational areas of life. Um, So what does it look like to champion your husband's spiritual life? Um, Help him find time to be with the Lord. Um, that, that, that does not look like, hey, babe, I bought this book devotional for you and your Bible and a pen and a journal, and it's right over there. And I was thinking every day at 6 a.m. you could read it. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as the Spirit moves him and as God is working in his life and he starts to go to spend time with the Lord, help support that by making that happen. Help support that by allowing him to feel the freedom to spend time with the Lord and by helping protect that time with the Lord. Um, also, what stirs his affections for the Lord? I know that's kind of a feely phrase, but what, what makes him, and what, how does he enjoy Jesus? Also feely for those in the room that that may, like, I don't know what that means. Basically, what are the things that make him, allow him to connect with the Lord? Whatever those are, if you don't know, ask, be a student of him, watch, help him determine, figure those things out, and then encourage him and give him the freedom to go and do those things. Um, the most important thing that you can do if all else, um, not all else fails, the most important thing you can do above all else, that's what I meant to say, on your handout, there's 10 things you can pray for your husband. So if you kind of don't even know where to begin, start there. It's adapted. There's this great book called Unveiled Wife. I acknowledge, I, have, I admit, I have not read it, um, but I hear it's amazing. Um, her, she had 24 or five points. They were great. And so I narrowed it down to 10, but that's on here for you. So maybe start there. Um, emotionally, how can we champion our husbands? Um, well, in case you haven't noticed, most men have um, lesser of an emotional vocabulary, at least mine 
does. He would laugh if he was in the room. Um, so what that means is just help him understand himself. What that means is, hey, babe, you seem distracted. You seem weary. You seem frustrated. You seem um, like you're not here. Like, is there anything I can help you with? Help him put words on what he's showing, you know, in his actions. Help him put words on those things. Um, also, you can help him emotionally by making your home a relaxing place. Um, what would make your home more relaxing for him? And so this played out in our family, um, in our marriage, in that um, he, and again, when I mentioned that season of just chaos and just perfect storm of a lot of things happening, one of the things was just work was insane for him. And um, he actually spoke at Watermark Coast in an IT conference this week, and he taught at one of the breakout sessions. And, um, and so the night before he did it, he, um, he practiced for me. I said, I told him that day, I was like, hey, I'd love to hear it. Would it help you to practice? I'd, I'd be your audience. And, and he's like, you want to hear it? And I go, sure, I'd love to. And so we did that night. I sat down, I listened. And, and the first part was hilarious because it was, you know, more of the like who I am and where I've come from. And the end was great. And the middle was like, the peanut, grandma, wah, 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 wah. It, the, it was another language. It was IT. My husband is tech staff. He's a technology guy. And it was it was literally another language. It was acronyms and words I've never heard of, words I couldn't pronounce that were on the screen and we were laughing about it. It was an hour of, I don't even know what you're saying right now. And afterwards, I was like, how do you switch? Like, you literally spoke another language for 10 hours yesterday and now you're coming home to like this? And he's like, now you understand why that 15-minute commute, like, I don't want to talk to anyone. All I do is windows down and just, like, debrief, right? And so just that's something to say when what we learned out of that season was he just has a really, his day is nonstop problem solving on multi-million dollar projects, right? So big stuff. And so when he walks in the door after a tiny 10 or 15 minute commute, he's still unpacking. And so he needed the, the evening or at least the re-entry portion of the afternoon of the evening, the first couple of hours needed to be shallow. It needed to be simple and light. And so that's what I mean by making home a relaxing place. Another thing you can do and help in this area is run interference for him. Um, I learned this. You know, I have a lot of words. I think Sue Boland says that we have like 40,000 words and men have like 10,000 a day, which is just humorous that the Lord put us together. And, um, and so I have a lot of words. And so what I learned to do is when I had a bad day, it's important for my husband to know that I had a rough day too. Um, and so he comes home and he sees it on my face. I'm wearing it in my action you know, and, um, and it's like, hey, so, you know, did you have a bad day? I'm like, yeah, I had a bad day. Instead of just vomiting on him the 14 ways that Tucker disobeyed me that day and how and the disrespectful tone from this child and the daughter that did this, instead of just doing it on him, I learned to say it was a really rough day. The kids were disrespectful. This and this were really big. And um, man, I am worn out. And then later, at another time, when we're both mentally able that I can verbalize a bit more concisely what happened, and he has debriefed and unpacked his day, we can actually have a productive conversation. And so um, that's what I mean by run in interference for him. Um, what brings him rest? What, what does he delight in doing? Um, help him find time and space for those. Um, vocationally, how you can be your husband's champion, value his profession. 
Um, encourage him in his work. Ask God to make you sensitive to the things that he's facing at his job also. And remember um, the important things that he is facing and ask him about it. Um, I think Paul is a great example of this in the Bible. Um, Paul writes the majority of the New Testament, and he writes most of his letters. Um, most of the books of the Bible in the New Testament are his letters to churches he helped start. And I think Paul is a great example of championing the people that he cares most for. And there's a passage that um, I'm going to summarize for you. But in Ephesians 3, he's just like, for this reason, I bow before my Father in heaven. And then he goes on and talks about his love and his care for these people and the hope that he has for the church of Ephesus um, to know and grasp God's love, how deep and wide and far and high and big it is. And I think Paul's just a great example of what it looks like. If you look at any of his letters, Philippians, um, Colossians, Ephesians, and so on, look at the opening verses and his words. It is clear that he is just there to champion the people he cares for. And we should take note of that as we champion our husbands. Um, number four, realize you are two becoming one. Remember in Genesis 2 that this is why a man will leave his father and his mother, will be joined to his wife, and they will become one. So they will become one. Yes, there is a connotation of like physical oneness in there. We'll get to that later. Um, but it also means like you're two different entities, two different stories, two different upbringings, two different unique experiences experiences, perspectives coming together to create a new entity. So there's a really good chance that your family is going to look different than the family you were raised in. For some of you, you're like, amen, thank the Lord. And for others of you, you're like, oh, but I really liked the way my family did it, you know? And so my, my challenge to you, my exhortation to you is to figure out the things that you want to bring into your marriage from either of your families. There are things that are like, hey, this, that my parents modeled this great or our family did this well and I want to continue that. Have those conversations. And then also talk about like, what are the things that, that I would like to do differently? What are the things that maybe not so well were done and we would like to do differently? Discuss those things and know that it's going to be a constant conversation till death do you part, right? Constant. Um, another thing to remember is that you are two flawed people, one flawed person married to another flawed person coming together in a broken world, right? And so you need to remember that. Um, New Morning Mercies is this great uh, devotional daily that I read um, as much as I can. And in August, um, he said this. It was awesome about relationships. Here is the structure of every human relationship this side of eternity is a flawed person in relationship to a flawed person. It's like planting a garden. You clear the land, you break up the soil, you plant, the, uh, you plant, you water, you nurture the flowers, but at some point, you do not have the liberty of walking away. Your work has not ended. In fact, it has just begun because you planted flowers in impure soil and in a less than perfect environment, weeds will immediately begin to grow. And if you don't attend them, they will soon dominate the turf and choke out the vitality of your beautiful flowers. And so ladies, um, Extend each other grace. Know this is a truth. You're two sinful people coming together in a broken world. So extend each other grace. Overlook the minor offenses where you can. Um, it says in Proverbs that uh, it is to a glory of a man to overlook his offense. Um, and so look for opportunities for that. Um, don't be surprised that your marriage, um, it's, gonna, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
you're going to constantly be working at it because of this um, because of this point here. Um, number five, this is my most man, man, this was my greatest takeaway in the season that I referenced that my husband and I walked through. This is the number one for me. Focus on friendship. Lasting Promise is a great marriage book. Um, it says we all lead busy lives between work, the needs of children, personal interests, the upkeep of the home, involvement in your church. I added community group, loving and serving others, maintaining family relationships. Our lives can get very, very busy. Early in relationship, couples put a high priority on playing and talking, but all too often, fun and friendship take a backseat to the needs as well as the distractions of our lives. But these great ways of connecting don't have to slip away. They can be resurrected if they have slipped away. Um, so in this portion, um, to focus on friendship first means you have to set aside time to be friends. We had to learn this. We, I had to relearn this. Um, to set aside time to be just friends again. Um, remember that you were a couple before you were a parent. And so what that looked like for us was reprioritizing going on dates. Um, when our kids were little, we did a date night swap with another couple for like five years. Every Wednesday night, 5.30 to 7.30, one of us would watch the kids and the other couple would go on a date. And then the next week we would swap. And whoever was watching kids, they were all young. It was a couple we trusted dearly, good friends of ours. And so we would feed them. Kids would be dropped off. We would feed them. We would bathe them. We would jommy them. And then when parent picked up, they got to go home and just put kids to bed and continue date night. So we did that when our kids were little, little, like under four. Um, that's what we did on a regular basis. And then we switched to um, hiring a babysitter. And so this is something that my community group, families, couples model amazingly well. Um, they all regularly go on dates um, out with their husband. And I am, was mind blown by that for a portion of time and finally embraced it and was like, okay, how do we, pray? And, and at the end of the day, it's because they prioritized it. That got on the calendar before anything else that month. And so we started modeling that. And so I, we have a sitter and how that works in our house is I have a couple of gals I always go to. I send them dates for the semester. I'm not kidding you. I send them September to December. I have community group meetings where we have babysitters for that. Um, so we can go to couples time. And then I also have dates on that list. And it, for us, it's just like a 630 to 830. It's so we can go out and have a long leisure dinner and the sitter comes and she hangs with my big kids. They love our babysitters we use. They're, they've been around for a while. Um, and so we can have a long, leisure, great conversation and just catch up. And that's twice a month we try to do that now. Um, Y'all, we had to relearn this. Um, I, I didn't know. One of the next point is um, set aside time to be friends um, and to be just friends. And so I thought when we got away for these dates, we were going to get to talk about all those things on my list, you know, like the parenting thing and the financial question and the remodel and or what, you know, the list, you know, all year like, oh, yeah. Um, and my husband was like, enough of that. Like, no more of that. I don't want to talk about that stuff on dates. I want to I just want to be friends. And I was like, what are we talking about? Like, I literally, I was like, I don't know what to say to you if I can't talk about those things. And so he found this app. It was called 32 Questions. It's totally secular. I don't even know if it's still out there. But it was like conversation starters. What is your greatest fear? What is the thing you're most proud of that you've accomplished in life? We literally would go, we would pull it up and he would ask me a question. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You know, is what I was thinking in my head. Oh, there's so many things I need to talk to you about. Is what I'm thinking. And, but we go through this and the next thing I know, we're laughing and we're, 
remembering things. And then it took us like 40 dates to go through 32 questions because we would just talk on it for an hour. Like, so good, guys. Um, another thing, I said this last time I think I spoke or a couple times last year, Bitmoji saved our marriage. I say that all the time. It's hilarious. Um, what I mean by that is, is too much of our interactions were business. And we needed to lighten the mood and be fun still. And so those stupid bitmojis like are just funny. They're funny. And so throughout a day when we, we don't get to talk or text much throughout the day. And so when we did, when somebody sends a funny one, it just makes you laugh and sparks friendship, right? That companionship. It was so good. I'm serious. Moji saved my marriage. I should tell them that. Maybe I'd get some. I don't know. Whatever. Um, uh, create a fun bank. Some people I know created a fun bank. That just meant anytime that idea comes to mind of things they like to do with their spouse, they brought it down and put it in a mason jar. And then when you have time, you pull it out. Anything from little things like, I'd like to do a puzzle someday. I don't know. Or go hiking. Whatever. Anything that's fun for the two of you. My point is, what did you used to do before you were married? What did you used to do? What did you do when you dated? What did you do when you were married but didn't have kids? Figure those things out and find ways to re-bring those back into your marriage. Some are gonna be bigger, right? And take more planning, but others can be as simple as like, we did a You Choose date night and it was like sometimes with dates, we never knew where to go and what to do to appease both of us. And so we did this, hey, like, why don't you pick this week where we're going and I can learn and I just have, I have to go along and just enjoy it. And so when when it was my term, I was like, we went to Trader Joe's and we perused Trader Joe's and found food that we could literally take home and eat because that's enjoyable to me. I didn't have to cook it. And we went to Hobby Lobby and we just walked around because I go to Hobby Lobby in college. I would go to Hobby Lobby just for a mental break from life. I just peruse it and enjoy it. And sometimes I'd buy, I've learned to not be impulsive as much anymore because of the budget. Um, and so, but we went and he was like, why, 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 what is it about this place that you just love so much? And I'm like, but look at this and oh, wouldn't that be cute someday? You know, and it was just, and he got to see what were my interests and it was good. And we ended up finding a puzzle and I used to love puzzles. I'm like, Hey, it's 10 bucks. Let's buy one. And we bought a puzzle and we brought it home. We worked on this puzzle. The several of you in the room in our foundation group at the time. And it was on our table for like six months, not really, like three months because it was a thousand piece. What were we thinking? Anyways, and so we had on the table and we just kind of work on it throughout the months. Literally, we had people in at our house all the time and they'd add a few pieces. It was hilarious. Um, Anyways, that's what we would do. And so um, I say all of that. This is a point I wanted to spend a little bit more time on than the others um, because I just think it's really important to remember your friendship, Um, to again, to tend to your marriage and to nurture it, tend to your friendship, focus on it. And the key thing, as I've already said, is make sure you also protect that time. Um, Fun is a vital role, again, from Lasting Promise, a quote, fun is a vital role in keeping your friendship intimate. Knowing that fun times are coming can rejuvenate the connection and refresh your daily routines by giving you something to look forward to. And so for us, like I've already said, it means we write it on the calendar. It is, it is planned. Um, it is a priority on the calendar along with our community group um, times. It is priority on the calendar. Um, and so I, we treat it like we would a doctor's appointment. Um, also, lost track of my place. Oh, that also meant that um, those things you do need to discuss because life 
life still happens and you still have a family and things going on. We had to have time um, elsewhere to have business conversations. And so when we were early in marriage, we had every Sunday night, we'd sit down and we'd look at the calendar. We'd talk about whatever. I can make a list and that's when I can handle my list. Now it looks a little bit differently. We can do that differently on the fly, on the way to and from soccer games or whatever. Um, I've learned to not vomit on him all things at once um, to pick and choose when and timing. Um, But you do need to have a time and a space to handle those things. I get it. Or you're not going to be able to protect friend time, right? Um, Okay. And then lastly on this topic, um, it's super crucial that you limit um, your distractions. And so that is going to look like putting your phone on do not disturb, keeping it in your purse. Um, Again, kids not around. I gave you some ideas. Kid night, date night swaps, hire a babysitter. Um, Investing your marriage is great. It's important. Um, Perhaps when they're little, you can do at home date nights. And so that means after the kids are in bed, um, you change scenery, you go on your patio or you create a space on your patio or you tidy one room in your house so you can sit and actually rest and not see the piles of whatever laying around. Um, and you, you, you're intentional about not doing anything. You're intentional about playing backgammon. We did that a lot. We did. We liked puzzles. Um, we would do things like that to just enjoy. So if, if budgeting and people watching kids is not an option, at-home date nights are a great solution when your kids are little, little. Um, Okay, moving on. Number six. So another area where you can tend to your marriage, number six, is it's really important for us to remember that one of our roles is to be a safe place. And for our husbands, in Proverbs 31, 11, it says the heart of a husband safely trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. Um, How can we be safe? How can we be a safe place for a husband? It's good. It's a a good place to start is to consider your words and actions and reactions. And um, Paul David Tripp, he has this Wednesday word devotional that he puts out and he says in here, every word in our conversations have a mission. As ambassadors of Christ, our words are to accurately depict the love of Christ. So how are we doing at using our words to build up and to encourage our spouse? Or how are we using them to tear down um, in our house, we're focusing on my, my kids, mostly, all of us. Um, Proverbs fifteen eighteen: a harsh word stirs up wrath, um, or a harsh word stirs up conflict, but a gentle word uh, turns away wrath. And just how are we doing at using our words to build up our spouses? Um, are you always trying to fix your husband? If your husband thinks he's always trying, you're always trying to fix him, um, you're not going to be a safe place for him. Um, how do you respond to him? Are you quick-tempered? Um, do you cut him off? Do you fully listen? Do you correct him? Do you listen without defensiveness? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, as James 1, 19 says. Also, are you letting go? How are you doing at letting go of the little things? As I mentioned earlier, it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Um, and so how are you doing at letting go of the minor things? I think often we have these really high expectations of our spouses, and, um, and they just are cratering under this perfection we want them to be. Um, and I think it would help if we could offer them some grace more. Um, number seven, communicate effectively. Um, so often, much of our conflict merely is the result of inadequate communication or poor communication. And so let me say to this room who are... Um, sleep deprived, who have had kids um, pawing at you all day long. It feels that way at times, I know. Um, You're just going to be more prone to negative interpretation, prone to escalation, isolation, invalidation, all of those negative communication patterns when you're just worn out and tapped out and running on empty, right? So just one note to self. Huh, pretty worn out. 
I'm pretty exhausted and I'm feisty right now. Is it because of what he just said or is it because I'm hangry and I need a nap? You know, like, like just pay attention to that. Um, a healthy communication pattern, in case you're unaware, would look like when you do X and situation Y, it makes me feel like Z, empty, or blank, not empty, blank. Um, so for us in that season, one of the things that irked, the, irked me to pieces was like when he said he would be home, you know, in general around 6 o'clock and 6.15, 6.20 would roll around, 6.30, and I have not heard anything. And I know it is that time of night when you are just managing the chaos and people are hungry, you're hungry, you're trying to cook a meal, bedtimes, tired kids, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, am I waiting on you? Am I not? Like, do you know how I just slaved over this food and it's amazing and you're not even here to eat it because the kids are sure not going to eat it or they're going to fight me on it. Dang it, I want someone here to appreciate. You know, that's what would happen in my head, in my heart. And so, um, so that would look like he'd come home and I'm like, oh yeah, just did you know that I was cooking dinner for everyone tonight? It's just cold now. I'll just heat it up. You know, it was just awful. And what I learned was much more effective um, was when I said, hey, when you forget to text, when you're running late, it makes me feel like I'm not a priority. It makes me feel disrespected. It makes the effort I just went through feel disrespected. Then we had a productive conversation. The other, not so much, right? This was productive. And then we ended on a great solution of like, hey, if, if you're not going to be home by the time you think you're going to be home, just a text that says going to be late. And then I have the authority to proceed with whatever I think is best in the moment. So if that's feeding kids, if that's waiting a little longer, I can then move forward with whatever needs to be best for the family. Um, next, number eight, show him respect. Um, ooh, this is good, y'all. This is going to be good. Ephesians 5.33 is a commandment, and it says, Each of you, speaking to the husbands, should love your wife as you love yourself. And wives, you are to respect your husbands. How do we show respect? In our words, again, in our words, our actions and our reactions, both in front of him and when he's not around. So my question to you is, what kinds of things do you say about him when he's not around? How do you portray him to others? When you ask for his input and he actually gives it, do you listen to it or you just dismiss it because he doesn't know what he's talking about? Um, this was something that I did not realize I did um, until he brought it to my attention. And it was a gut puncher, right? Um, and so I just had to learn, and I started practicing when he would give input on something, just, just running with it because it was his input. So this is so silly, but I hate going to the dentist. I hate it. And I will find every reason to not go when the appointment comes around. I have issues, my mouth, I don't know. Anyways, and so one time I was like, I think I'm going to cancel my, reschedule my dentist appointment, this, that, this, that, and the other, were my excuses. And he's like, babe, just go get it over with. What's the point? And I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to go, yeah, you're right, I'll do it. And I did. And then later when I mentioned that I went to the dentist appointment because he encouraged me to do so, he was like, oh yeah? Like, like you know, just kind of listen to him when we can, y'all. It's important. Um, okay, if you're wondering, huh, I wonder if I'm doing good in this area or not or how I could, may I ask you to ask your husband? You could ask him, say, hey, babe, how am I doing showing you respect both in front of the kids or in front of you and is there anywhere that I can improve in this area that's really like open up a can but I would encourage you to go into that with a little defensiveness and just ask because there might be something you don't even know that you're doing that he sees as disrespectful I learned that lesson um number nine um prioritize physical intimacy 
So here's the big sex talk. Um, so marriage, you know, um, physical intimacy is obviously a part of that. In Genesis 2, when he says two, be, will become, two flesh will become one, there's also an act of physical connection. Um, Tommy Nelson is an amazing Bible teacher. Um, grew up listening to him. And he says in a variety of different um, sermons on different passages, he says, and he does a lot of counseling. And I've read this also, and um, this general idea from a lot of different marriage books we have read as we have mentored newly married couples um, through Watermark. Um, and this is general idea of um, if I were to ask a couple about their sex life, about their physical intimacy, I would have a really good understanding. Tommy Nelson says specifically, um, I can tell how good a marriage is doing by simply asking, how's your sex life? Um, okay. So I said that, and I'm also going to say now that um, I understand in a room this size, we have a couple of different scenarios going on. Some of us in the room, um, I'm going to speak to you first, some of us in the room, we just need a reminder to prioritize this area. Um, some of us in this room, like me, um, I, we just need to reprioritize physical intimacy with, with our spouse. It needs to not be an afterthought. It needs to not be, I guess, whenever it happens, it happens. Um, we need to just make sure we're intentional about pursuing um, this, pursuing our husband um, in this area, and, or when he pursues you in this area, you're open to that. Um, I understand that I've been there, done that, where it's like the kids all day when you have littles, one's here, you know, 80 times a day, and another's here pulling and they're touching, and and there was a time where I taught my kids um, put your hand on me when I'm talking in a conversation if you need to interrupt so they don't just blurt out and interrupt. There was a time where they'd come over and do that because I taught them to and I'd be like, don't touch me. Like, it's like, leave me alone. Oh my gosh, I've been touched so much today, right? So there's a time when husband approaches and is like, hey baby, you know, and the hands come around you and you're like, get off, you know? And I did that and I've done that. And I was just touched out. I was just touched out. But to him, that was complete, like, shut down, right? Complete shut down. And so what I learned is most of the time, I just need to communicate. I just need to use my words, right? Use my words and communicate a little better that I feel touched out. I'm so sorry, you know? Um, if I could have a few minutes, that would be great, you know? And then he's like, oh, okay, great. Oh, and then you go and do your thing and he's like, you know, he's excited. And so anyway, so for the majority of us in the room, we just need to reprioritize putting emphasis or being intentional in this area. This is gonna be super unglamorous, but this might mean you actually write it on your calendar. Um, anyone watch Parenthood, the show Parenthood? They had Funky Town. They'd write Funky Town on their calendar. Adam and his wife and, and his single brother made fun of him for that. But that's the thing. Like so much is going to get in the way of this area of your life. By the end of the day, you're going to be so tired. That is so far from your mind. Um, and so it might take either physically writing it in your calendar or at least glancing at, okay, if Monday's that and Tuesday's this and Wednesday's that, you know, the chance of that happening is going to be here and here. And so I'm just going to just make sure that that day I'm a little bit more mentally prepared for that. And so that's unglamorous, but that might be what it takes. That's what it took for me. Um, there's this um, great, I picked this up from Building Blocks nine years ago. The nest was called Building Blocks. And somebody said, I think it was Antoinette Davis. She said, SSF blank. Um, save some for, insert your husband's initial. I wrote it on a post-it note and I put it like in place throughout my house, just save some for Marshall. That's my husband's name. Um, and just the idea of it's, it's emotional, it's relational, it's physical energy. It's all of those things. Make sure that I'm not 
Um, in a days of littles, so much of your day is not in con your control. I understand that. But the areas you can control your energy output, um, just keep in mind, save some for your spouse. Um, don't always be depleted when he walks in the door. Um, so for the others of you in this room, um, I recognize again with 160-ish women in here, um, some of you, this is a really, really sensitive topic um, for really good reason. Um, and so to you, my heart breaks. And so um, I understand I've seen it up close and personal um, through people we have mentored and loved on and cared out for um, that abuse can cause major wounds in this area. I know that a marriage that hasn't been weeded in a long time um, and has a lot of work can result in just this being a really difficult area. I know that hurts, habits, hangups um, can contribute to this area being a struggle um, and not limited to, but including things like pornography, eating disorder, body image struggles, um, infertility, abortion, um, both on your side or your spouse's side, all of those are really big weeds. And I understand they can impact this area greatly. And I don't want to make light of this topic. And so um, to you, I use the word prioritize physical intimacy very intentionally. And that for some of you, what that looks like is just taking that next step towards healing. Um, some of you that looks like um, getting some healing um, for yourself or your spouse in these areas. And so in the back of your handout, there is a list of various Christ-centered recovery support groups for all of those things I just mentioned. And so if that is a part of your story and that is impacting the area of intimacy with your spouse, I really encourage you to go to this website, um, click on um, Karen support. And here at this camp, Campus, there's a, a lot of resources available to you. And so lastly, as we wrap up, um, number 10, I want you, um, the 10th way that you can tend your marriage is trust that God loves you and that he's in control. Um, there's another, another book called Sacred Marriage that says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? Um, ooh, and that's another one. I believe God, God can use marriage for our happiness for sure. But I think that that's not the only reason. I think that he uses it to make us more like him. And that means it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard. And so I know there are people in this room that um, you're either married to a man that isn't walking faithfully with the Lord or not consistently with the Lord, or maybe he doesn't, uh, maybe he's, he's saved, he trusts Christ for the provision of his sins, but he isn't like, see God as Lord of his life. Some of you might not be married to men that are believers in Christ. Um, some of you have contemplated divorce. You might have been divorced. Um, some of you might be lonely despite being married. Um, and some of you might be waiting on just really big things you're praying for your spouse for. And so to you, I want to remind you um, that you can trust that God loves you in those circumstances. He's not forgotten you. He's not ignoring you. He still sees you. Nothing has surprised him by your story. And know that in Jeremiah 29, 11, he has plans for your good not for your harm. He has plans um, that give you hope and a future. That verse is often taken out of context. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet um, of God and he is speaking to those in exile and he's telling them, hey, those of you in exile, hey, know that I have a plan for you. I've not forgotten you. I still see you. I'm going to provide, right? And so my admonition to you all is just to trust and remember that God does love you and he is ultimately in control and he has a plan and, and you will see his, um, you will see and experience him make good out of nothing, um, make good out of bad. You will see him 
um, reinstate a Garden of Eden from a situation, whether, whether you caused it or not, whether it was sin on your part or sin on another's, um, he can make good out of whatever situation that you might be facing. Um, and I know that because he promises it in his word. And my challenge to you is Proverbs 31, 24, um, strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. Um, that proverb is, a, is describing a woman that is looking, that, that fears the Lord. And because of that, she is clothed with strength and dignity and she can smile at what's in front of her and the future because her hope is in a Lord that is bigger than all of it, right? And so my challenge to you, if that's part of your story, is just trust he's in control and then he loves you. Um, and so with that, ladies, I'd love to give you about 10 minutes, 12 minutes to spend some time um, discussing these 10 things we just unpacked. Um, and we're going to look at, I want you, like I said, if you start and circled, great. If you didn't, fine. But just discuss what are ones you're doing well and what are ones that maybe you can give some more attention to. I am Lindsay, and I'm really excited to be with y'all this morning. I will let you know I'm a rookie speaker. This is my first time, so we don't really know what we're going to get. Here we go. Um, This is my family. That's my crazy husband, Chris. Um, We've been married for 11 years. Uh, My oldest son, Tanner, is in second grade. Uh, Emma is in kinder, and Brady will be two in January. Here's, I think, a more normal picture of how we really look, maybe. Or maybe this is just how we really look. Yeah, here we are. And then if you'll go on to the next one, um, I'd love to introduce you to my community group girls. That's Elizabeth, Shelley, that's me, Emily, Jen, and Miriam. And I just want you to take a mental picture of them because I refer to them a lot in my testimony this morning. Uh, They're just really important to me and they've walked this road with me. So Um, I... I've been able to lead table leaders for a few years here at The Nest. I love being at The Nest. And uh, we've been at Watermark for 12 years. And the thing I love the most about Watermark is just how boldly everyone speaks truth um, and unashamedly. So that's my hope this morning, that I would just share boldly and that you would be blessed by that. Um, So let's pray and then I'll get started. Lord, thanks for this morning. God, thanks for a chance to share your story and how you've moved. Um, God, I pray that your words uh, would be spoken and nothing of myself. Um, I give you this time and I ask that you would move and we love you, amen. All right, so um, back in March, just this past March, if you were here at the nest, you could have turned around to that sound booth and you would have seen me balled up in a little ball on the ground with a hat on my head um, and trying to be invisible. And you might not have known that just the night before, my husband dropped the biggest bomb on me that I had ever experienced. It turned my world upside down, and um, it was a huge weed. So today I'm going to talk to you about that huge weed and how um, the Lord brought me through that. Um, So my husband and I, the night before, were just talking through our days, and he was sharing with me the story of a man that he met um, named Carlos. Uh, And he had met him in a parking lot, and Carlos had come over with a tray of bread and baked goods, and he was selling them uh, for rent for his halfway house that he was living at. And my husband was describing his teeth, and he just said his teeth were so rotten and just showed years of consequence of drug use and just a rough life. And he was talking about it, and then he, um, he started crying, and he said, but there is something that I saw in Carlos that was amazing. And I'm just 
like on the edge of my seat, what's, what's going on here? And he said, I looked in Carlos's eyes and I saw freedom and I envied him. And I was like, okay, what is it, you know? Um, and then he proceeded to tell me that for the past seven years of our marriage, once or twice a month, that he had looked at pornography. So you can imagine, this was a huge bomb I did not see coming. We had people in our lives. We had community that he reported to every week. How could this be happening? Um, how could you have done that to me? Who are you? Um, were some of the questions I asked. Um, I felt like our marriage for the past seven years was fake. Like, what even is it? Um, who are you? I thought you were this kind of man, and turns out after hearing this, I'm not too sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure you're not the man I thought you were. Uh, so my world was turned upside down that night. Um, I had huge emotions. I felt insecure in pretty much every way I think you can. Um, it was around midnight, and I texted my community group girls and just said, I'm going to let my husband tell your husbands the next morning at guy time, uh, but I just need you to know that my husband confessed to some really painful things, and I need some prayer tonight. So I spent most of that time uh, that night feeling just, I bawled the whole night. I felt like I had been hit in the stomach. My chest was heavy. I didn't know what to do. I had all these things firing away in my mind. And I was up most of the night Thursday evening, just sick. Um, so I knew that the next morning I had responsibilities here. I get to serve on leadership, and so I have things I have to get done. Um, so I made a phone call and just asked that my girls would cover for me. I knew I was in no place to lead, especially uh, with what had just happened. Um, and they covered for me. Um, but one thing that I did know is that I knew I was supposed to be at the nest. I didn't know why, but I was supposed to come. So I slipped back in that back door and I tried to be as invisible as possible. Um, so one, one side note is I actually cry through most nest mornings. I don't know about you, but it's just so good for my soul. I love being reminded of what I'm doing and that it matters. I love being here with coffee, talking to ladies. I just love it. Um, but this morning was different. I cried through the whole thing. Um, and a lot of my crying was just because I didn't know what to do next. I have never been through something like this. I've never had so many things firing in my mind and not known how to sort through it and really where to go with it with the Lord. Um, so uh, my good friend, Suze, uh, Suzanne, you may know her, uh, she came over to me towards the end. And of course, I'm a mess. And she was like, how you doing? She's, she's pretty to the point. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not doing great. And I gave her the basic um, story. And she said, how's your heart? How's the condition of your heart? And I think I said a couple of sweet words, like, I'm really sad and I'm really disappointed. And she was like, really? Really? Like, do you have anything else? Uh, and at that point, I started using some bigger words that I was feeling. Um, and I knew that there was something else to dig into that in that question. So I jotted that down. Uh, she continued to ask a few questions. And what's funny about this is that 
she came back later and she was like, hey, I know you said those questions were really meaningful. What were they? What did I even ask you? She had not even remembered. These were not some kind of questions that she put me in a box and, oh, here's a person. I'm going to ask them these questions. Uh, that was what the Holy Spirit revealed to her. So I, I took it as this is my next step that the Lord had revealed. So uh, she gave me a couple questions. I wrote them down. Um, and I'll come back to those questions because I know you're super excited about them. Um, so I'm going to finish telling you just about that day, the first 24 hours after that confession. I left the nest and I uh, already my phone was blowing up from my community group girls checking on me. Um, one of my friends was actually able to come over and sit with me while I just wept uh, for hours. Um, I, I had not cried that much, I feel like, ever. Um, so, uh, they knew, my girls knew about these questions that I'd been asked um, and to work through. And so, um, they pushed me to go ahead that Friday night and go sit by myself um, and dig into those questions. I fought that a little. I thought, you know, my kids have seen me crying a lot. I probably need to stay home and have some stability or let them feel like we're still okay and... Y'all, they told me just straight up, no, you need to go. Um, you need to start working through this. And so one thing that was just so helpful is I was drowning and my girls were above the water and they were able to say, no, you can't see right now. You need to go. So I trusted them. Um, so if you'll pull out your handout on the other side, I have the questions, the famous questions. Um, now these, again, they are not magic questions, but this is the tool that God used to start working on my heart when I didn't know how to take the next step. This was my step. So that first question is, what is the current condition of your heart? And I'll give you a second just to write that in there. And so the condition of my heart was broken. I felt deceived. I felt shocked. Um, I felt, like I said, insecure physically, insecure relationally with my husband. Um, I felt really unsure of what my reality was because what I thought it was, apparently it wasn't for seven years. Um, I felt rejected and I felt picked over. Um, number two, what do I know about my husband is what goes in that second question. So this was the most painful question um, because I didn't know. Everything was in question. Um, I, I had no idea who he was or I felt that way. Um, I, I had never had so many question marks about him in my life. I, I thought I knew him. Um, so I just begged the Lord to reveal who he was and to start rebuilding that. Um, and this question stayed blank for a while because I just didn't know. Um, so number three, what do I know about the Lord? So what was so neat is the order of these questions, because here on number two, I'm saying, gosh, what I thought was reality was turned upside down, and it is not. Um, all these things that I thought were secure actually weren't. And that is a big deal um, to recognize that. And so having this question come next was so sweet. Um, I just sat in my Bible, and I just dug into who God is, and uh, some of the things uh, that he revealed is just that he alone is my rock. There is no other rock 
in my life except for Jesus Christ. He is the only one that I can consistently, day after day, count on to care for my heart in the way that is perfect. He's it. Um, He's good. I knew that he had the power to heal our marriage. I knew that he had the power to heal my heart, to help my husband and heal his heart. Um, I knew that he was able. Um, And so just this question alone helped me to really recenter and feel tethered to what I was doing, where before it felt like things were all over the place. Um, So I just wanted to read a verse that was just really, really special to me during this time. It's Psalm 18.6. And it says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. And this was just a different tenderness of the Lord um, to just know that all those tears that I've been crying, he heard everyone. And so in a time when you could feel so alone, I felt so cared for and so loved by him. Uh, So this was a great question for me. Uh, The other thing um, that I knew about the Lord was that I knew he had forgiven me for my sins and that eventually I would forgive my husband. And that wasn't easy to write down, but I knew that about him. Uh, Okay, so number four. Uh, The question is, what do I know that I won't do? Um, I've also heard this said as, what doors need to be shut? Um, And this was helpful for me. Uh, Some of the things that I knew I wasn't going to do, I knew I wouldn't quit. I knew I wouldn't run. I knew I wouldn't check out emotionally with him. I wouldn't run to social media. I wouldn't turn to food or other things that I often turn to when I'm in a stressful situation. And I I knew I couldn't isolate from my community group. And I knew um, that I would not choose to be stubborn in extending grace. Um, so, and then number five is what are the things I have to do to finish this race well? Uh, this was a great process. This whole thing was just, uh, so helpful. Um, just to think through really, what does that look like? And some of the things that I came up with that night were, I knew I needed the Lord to reveal my sin. I knew I'd been sinned against. Um, but I also knew I had something that God could expose to me. I knew I needed to keep my heart soft towards the Lord and listen to him. And I needed to really pursue God like I hadn't before. And that's mainly just because I was hearing so many lies and didn't know how to sort through them unless I had been firmly planted on the Lord that day. Um, I knew that in order to finish well, I needed to pray for my marriage. I needed to pray for healing. I needed to pray for my heart. Um, I needed to let the Lord heal me and let him guide me through this. Because again, this was just a one step at a time kind of a procedure for me. Um, I knew I needed to stay in with my husband and and not run uh, from those hard questions. Um, And I knew that I needed to let my community group continue to process this with me because I would need them to steer me. So I came home from Starbucks that Friday night and I was able to communicate with my husband just where I was and um, the areas that were still big question marks like that number two. Um, And he was great to listen. And um, so my husband was really broken over his sin and um, the Lord had a whole nother side of the story that I hope you get to hear from him at some point, um, just of how he's redeemed things. But 
um, he was broken and um, the path towards healing for our marriage was definitely a process. Um, the Lord showed me my sin. He was so nice to answer that question for me. Um, and I, I learned that sin is sin. And although it feels like, how could you ever do this to me, was so big, I, I saw that the Lord said, but what about this? And that just, it really, really helped me on this path. So the things that the Lord revealed to me was that I had been turning to social media. I had been rushing through my normal tasks to hurry and get back to being plugged in. Um, The way I found this out was a good friend of mine, Joy, sent me a picture of something she was reading. And she was like, look how awesome this is. And when I got that text, I was like, oh. Joy, good for you. You're reading a book. And I just remember sitting there thinking, why am I not reading a book? Like, why, why, can, why do I feel like I can't do this? And it was really because I felt really trapped by social media. So um, that had consequences in our marriage. I would often just kind of halfway listen to my husband in the evenings um, and not really engage with him. So that was a big sin that was revealed. Um, Now, I do want to say I did not cause my husband to sin and run to pornography. That is his sin. But God is always so faithful to reveal what part I had. So that was part of mine. Um, And the other thing that he showed me was that I had some wrongly placed security in him and what he thought of me um, that was stirred up and really just turned upside down by this confession. Um, and, and there's more to that story. If this is part of your walk uh, that you're maybe going through now and there's stuff to be healed there, I would love to talk more about that. The whole insecurity part was a whole nother chapter. All of these really I could go into a lot more, but just for the record, that was not um, an area that I was very strong in. So the process just looked like studying, journaling every day, and I listened to some podcasts about porn and tried to understand where my husband was coming from and really just continued to do whatever God put as next in front of me. Um, I, I would send my community group girls all my journals every day, and y'all, they actually read them all, um, which was such a gift, and um, well... They would, um, they would circle things that maybe I needed to look into a little bit more and say, I think you're a little off here or your thinking might be off. Look into this. Or they might circle and be like, "At a girl. Like, you're really working hard at this. And walking with people through this um, was such a gift. So thank you. Um, anyway, um, so my husband did run hard after the Lord. And um, he, we both let the Lord just heal us and do what he wanted to do through this. Um, So in hindsight, these are just a couple of the steps that um, worked really well for me, if you'll put that screen up. Um, So when the big weeds come, take a step, move forward. And for me, this looked like calling my nest leadership and saying, I need you to cover for me um, and moving one step at a time and coming to the nest. I knew I was supposed to do it, so I just did it. Um, I think there's scripture. If you want to go ahead and click through those scriptures. Uh, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. 
Okay, so the second thing is just to humble yourself, draw a circle around yourself, and work on everything that God wants to do with this weed or whatever it is in your life. Can you go ahead and click that? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Number three is to purge. Um, And just one thing I learned is if the Holy Spirit reveals it, purge it and do it fast. Um, I love the verse that was up there with it. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the last step is just to follow him. Walk with him through it. Let him be faithful. So this is just the template that God chose to use through this confession um, and just walked me through this really by hand. Um, Just to wrap up, I just want you to know that what I feel like the, the enemy wanted to use for him, the Lord totally used for good. And it's for my good that I went through this. And um, our marriage is better for it, which is wild. Um, I didn't know how God would choose to heal and redeem, but I know he has. Um, And he was faithful. Um, And so, you know, now just like Carlos, um, I, when I look in my husband's eyes, I see freedom. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, So that's my story. Um, It's obviously one in progress, um, but we have seen so much redemption, and I'm so happy that I got to share it today, um, just to brag on what God does and how he does it and how he moves.